Hi, I can't talk right now. I'm spinning in the stone of tear trying to catch up the lol flake on my tongue. Dalen. And hello, I am your captain of the city guard, Eric. And welcome to Loyal's Book Club, a podcast dedicated to our discussion of Robert Jordan's Wheel of Time series. I am your first-time reader. And I am your veteran reader, mastering my poker face. And today we are doing a post-mortem on The Dragon Reborn, and we will be talking about Eric's predictions going forward for The Shadow Rising. Right on. So, um, I think the most important thing going forward is... Bilal is a clown, and <laughs> we can't let our roasting of Bilal go with the ending of Dragon Reborn and going into the Shadow Rising. I think we just have to set aside a couple minutes every day and just go, what an idiot, what a jackass. He was he was crusty. Uh, like I said, I think earlier in the previous episode, I'm just not on board with the Forsaken. I'm not... I'm not scared of them. I, you know, I really dig what, uh, what Lanfear is doing and such, but at this point, I am not worried about them, like, in the slightest. Lanfear is doing her, has her own agenda that we're gonna, we only got a hint of at the end of the Dragon Reborn when she said, Luz there in his mind, and I'm coming for him, so. Right, she's spinning her web. Yeah, and I feel like, uh, Ishamael was really the only one to kind of get close to hurting the boys because as Balsamon he got into their dreams and was able to really fuck shit up. Shamael and Lanfear were really the only ones to do something. Balthamel, what the fuck did he do? Just he stood there. Got blasted. Yeah. Bilal, he could have done it, but he just got blasted. Agonor? Also got blasted. (laughs) So we're now we're only waiting for Samael to get blasted, you know? You know, and that being said, actually, I would love, I don't, you know, I'm not sure if we're going to get a ton of backstory going forward or if we're going to see these people again, but I personally would be very interested in like a prequel or some more context on the on the Forsaken that we didn't get to know too well. But I am suspicious that this isn't mm, the last time I'm, I'm going to see them. This isn't the last time you're going to see them like the, uh, like you think the Forsaken are going to be a continuous threat in the series? Yeah, I, I think the ones that are quote-unquote dead aren't really dead, and they're going to come back in some form later down the line. Interesting. How'd you come to that theory? I just, I think, you know, especially with the tropes that are uh, now getting subverted, uh, I've been trying to go against my expectation with this series because I've been surprised at many turns. So my expectation is kind of like, okay, we've got how many? 13 Forsaken? Is that correct? 13, yeah. So I was just kind of ticking them off like, okay, there's one and that one's gone. Okay, we're, we're kind of getting through the list. But then it dawned on me that we're getting through the list a little too fast. Um, So I don't know if this is just my paranoid prediction making or something, but I think this is some type of plan for these Forsaken to die in these forms or these bodies so they can come back as a greater evil of some kind. Interesting. Like, you thought you fought me before. Guess what? Like the wheel keeps turning. So, do you have any um, of the dead forsaken? Uh, Ishamael, Bilal, Agenor, Balthamel. Who do you think is going to come back? Um, I'm pretty sure. Who who was it that we met in Eye of the World? That was Balthamel and Agenor. And Agenor, I I think they're going to be the first ones to come back because whatever's happening was set in motion during Eye of the World. So I do think we're going to see them pop up first if they do come back. Okay. And do you think Bilal and Ishamael are going to come back? Or do you think, like, they're done, they failed too hard? I don't. I think they're going to come back too. Um, again, I think it's going to be either a part of some type of, you know, ritual where we'll see some of the members first and know that we're going to see the other ones down the line. Or they might even all come back kind of at the same time in a big, you know, shit's about to hit the fan moment. Like, do you think it'll be, like, for the last battle, maybe? Like, you thought we yeah, were Yeah, maybe, like, 
Yeah, maybe the last battle, or even like the lead up to unleashing the Dark One, maybe something okay. like that. Interesting. We'll put that in Eric's back pocket. But I think that's a good theory. I think, yeah, the Forsaken are gone way too soon, and it would be a thing of if it was like one a book, and so then the last one would be uh, the Dark One at the end of the series. But it's too quick, and it was too easy, you know? Yeah. Like, that's the thing. Like, the takedown of, like, Bilal, Ashabel, Agenor, Balthamel, it was too, like, one and done, we were able to get them. So it feels like they have to be brought back somehow, because you kind of want that satisfying fight with the Forsaken, and I feel like we haven't gotten that yet. We're kind of just watching the wheel turn in favor of Rand, but we're kind of, yeah, it's... No, you're exactly right. And I think just the way that dark friends operate and how the shadow operates, I think that whole one step ahead of our heroes is kind of their, you know, kind of their thing. So that's why I'm trying to, I'm trying to read into it again, just being a little paranoid. I'm trying to think, okay, what, what could happen? What could unexpectedly happen that would make me go, oh, shit? Uh, so, yeah, I, I think they're coming back at some point in the series. Okay. Yeah. So that's something to look out for, for sure. And then something we didn't get to talk about in depth a lot uh, because we did start so late is what is going to be coming from the White Cloaks. Because in the prologue oh. to The Dragon Reborn... Uh, we meet the Lord Captain Commander, Pedro Nile, and he's talking to uh, Jarrett Byer, who's another white cloak, and we're essentially getting kind of like a, here's what happened in Falm. Uh, we were betrayed by Perrin Ibarra, who is a dark friend, and then we get uh, another white cloak uh, named uh, Jacob Carradin, who comes in and goes, yeah, the thing that happened in Fallen that killed uh, Geofrem Bornhold was kind of his fault too. And Pedra and Nile says that the false dragon Rand, he can't be killed. And we kind of get an insight to what the White Cloaks essentially want. And that's to spread their influence all over the Westlands. So when the last battle comes they can lead the forces of the light. Um, Because we get a little bit of the White Cloaks in the first couple books. Did you have any initial reaction to them? Do you have a feeling about what's coming because Perrin is being uh, held to blame for what happened? Right, right. Perrin's got a a big target on his back. Um, You know what? I completely forgot about the white cloaks in this book because they are not featured there's no spotlighting them they they get that little bit in the prologue and then they are all but absent for the most part uh so thank you for bringing them up because you know that kind of a a snap judgment i have is something is something's brewing (laughs) something is brewing and i think we're gonna find it in the uh next book i will say my my overall impression with the white cloaks it's they are very interesting. I think it's so smart to have another antagonist that is completely separate and identifiable because, you know, they claim that they fight for the light. Uh, You really get the impression that these are supposed to be the good guys. But in my opinion, they are not and pretty much on par with the shadow at large because it feels like, you know, a a right justice, you know, this, uh, uh, what would you call it? This, this righteousness that they have and just the aggression that they wield it with, uh, to me, they're, they're, they're completely another antagonist. So I think they're going to be big players in the next book. And do you think there's something else more to them? I only ask that because towards the end of what the first section of the prologue, a man called Ordieth comes into the room and begins speaking with Pedra Nile and goes, Hey, Randolph Orr, Matt Coffin, and Paranibara from the Two Rivers, and it's a nest of dark friends. Yeah, they, they you know, I, I think they've definitely been infiltrated. Uh, 
And whether that's traitors within the organization or just dark friends being slippery as they are and joining the ranks, I definitely think they're going to be manipulated. Uh, and they are going to be, you know, their influence is going to be spread out across the map. So it kind of in that way where our heroes need to look out for dark friends on the sly, I think we're going to see a heavy white cloak military presence in all the major cities and their lives are about to become much harder yeah. than they already are. And just because we've been going with the trend of the, we find the forsaken in high places of power, do you think any of the forsaken are amongst the white cloaks? Ooh, that, <laughs> that gave me chills. Uh, That gave me the tingles. I love that idea. I think that's one of those cool ideas that, even though it's not my own, it it feels too cool to be true. Kind of like, I want my my redemption arc. I want my big traitor storyline. I... (sighs) One of the Forsaken infiltrating the White Cloaks. I... I I won't say it's not possible. I I won't take it off the table entirely. I will say, while the White Cloaks are antagonists, I don't think they are so blinded by their own mission that they'd be able to be taken that far in. I I think there are still some good men in that organization that do fight for the light in the, you know, the actual (laughs) righteous and good ways. Uh, And I think they would have found something. So I, I think while the White Cloaks, while they're being played kind of at large by Dark Friends, I don't think it's... I don't think it's that corrupted yeah. yet. Oh, yet. Yeah, I think th- I think we have layers to discover. I think they're an organization that we're going to kind of read into more. I, I wouldn't be surprised if we get a either a player that we already know or get introduced to somebody who eventually becomes a white cloak or joins that organization and we actually get the inside-out yeah. perspective on it. All right, all right. And so I was going to ask a question but i think i'm gonna save it for a little bit later down the line just because i was like wanting to ask what you think the ramifications of rand declaring himself the dragon reborn is going to be yeah well i i think for sure there's going to be repercussions i think we're going to see a ripple effect um across the lands you know because this is big news this is the the ultimate of prophecies and stuff and with it coming to realization you know we've come across people that don't believe in this stuff or they're a little bit far removed i think this is going to pull all of the land kind of together uh and we're going to see a bit of a ripple effect of like consequences i think you know infiltrated cities are going to start drawing their their battle lines i think we're going to start seeing the division between you know the dragon and anyone else opposing uh and i don't think that's going to be just two factions. I don't think it's going to be, you know, the dragon versus the shadow. I think we're going to have multiple factions, multiple stakes, multiple people that, you know, if they don't have a, uh, you know, a horse in the race, so to speak, that they're going to find themselves still sucked in just by the surrounding consequences. So at large, this is definitely setting something into motion that's going to, you know, be a defining piece of this age of history. Yeah. But more intimately, I think this is going to absolutely drive the group that we've had for a while apart because even during the the traveling, when Rand was kind of getting the special treatment and Matt and Perrin weren't having any of it, I think we're going to have more of this separation of Rand is this godlike being who's being called for a higher purpose and stuff. And then you have Matt and Perrin who are, you know, in the mix, obviously they they are to Varen, but I think we're going to see, these friendships kind of fracture a little bit more and it makes me sad. It is. It's a little, it's, you can already sort of see the fractures starting to begin, but yeah, it's definitely a journey for these characters to take, especially dealing with the fact that, Oh, this isn't just Aes Sedai pulling strings anymore. He legit fulfilled a piece of prophecy. This Mm -hmm. is it's real now, you know? Yeah, and I'm not sure how we're going to get into it. Um, I'm sure in the next book, somehow we'll have some type of vehicle of moving from city to city and seeing what's going on. But I, I do think it's it's going to be, you know, there's going to be a lot of buzz going around, and it's going to spread far and wide. Yeah. So do you think it'll be a thing of there's going to be more civil wars breaking out? Oh, most most definitely. 
like, like I said, th- this isn't going to be one faction versus the other. Right. You know, cities are going to want to protect themselves and their people. We have dark influence. We have white cloak influence. We have so many, you know, players that are just yeah. rattling the game board right now. I think we're going to see a lot more personalized, intimate struggles. You know, I think, yes, absolutely. More civil wars, more cities against cities. I think we're going to see, you know, I think we're going to see the the worker kind of get screwed over you know the farmers the the craftsmen stuff like that i i think we're gonna see a lot of strife a lot of interpersonal strife all right it's gonna it's gonna get real for everyone in the westlands <laughs> it is if you didn't believe in the dragon before you will now do you think we'll see the sean chain again in the next book in the shadow rising or do you think we're kind of putting them on hold until things get worse, or what do you think? From a storytelling perspective, uh, my instinct would be we're not going to see them until we see Egwene at a whole new level in her own power, because again, I'm I'm waiting for her to right. get hers against them, and I think we're kind of building up to that kind of a showdown. That being said, I would not be surprised in the least if they were employed in this next book and started to, you know, travel out a little bit more and expand their okay. their dominance. So do you think it's slowly building into Sean Chan sort of starting a war of their own in the Westlands? I, I think they're I think ultimately they're going to declare war against the White Tower and Egwene will find herself in the middle of that type of battle. Because here's the other thing. I'll, I'll just sprinkle this little seasoning. Uh, because the way that the world works that we've seen so far, I think we're going to see a lot of that breaking. Also, to just go back to that general question of what this means at large for Rand to really right. take up the mantle, all all of the all of the old rules and practices, I think we're going to start seeing them bend and break. You know, uh, you know, the White Tower and the Aes Sedai, they like to stay out of things. I think they're going to have to make a decision to get roped in a okay, bit that stuff like that become more active in the world and not just sit where they are exactly i think and you know i hope this book does it because it really is one of my favorite themes um choosing neutral helps nobody except the enemy or the yeah. oppressor you know so i think we're gonna have especially these classically neutral factions have to start drawing their own battle sure. lines all right and what do you think is the uh what do you think is going to happen with the Aiel? because obviously obviously they were brought in for a reason uh and that was to find rand but what do you think is going to play out with that well uh and this is a little bit of you know outside of the podcast knowledge for sure but i know you're very excited about them i know you love the Aiel oh, yeah. a lot and a lot of the wait until you <laughs> wait until you read about this so <laughs> i definitely get the instinct that we're going to see a lot more of them i think we're going to see a lot more of them in action i think we're going to get a lot more of their culture and history um you know i know they're i I loosely know them i I don't think i have every single detail about them but they live a far way away across the waste and uh, even across the sea is that correct uh so they live in the aiel waste which is just separated from the westlands by a mountain range Mm -hmm. so i think either we're going to see a mass exodus of them from their primary location into the world we know or i can definitely see you know rand or some other agent going to the wasteland to stir up and drum up a bit of an aiel army okay interesting definitely something to keep in the back pocket uh yeah i'm definitely excited too because i know i know people love gall and i haven't seen too much of him i've only seen i've seen him locked up in a cage and i've seen him speak a few words and <laughs> so far I'm, I'm not impressed but i am ready and excited to get to know him a little bit more yeah and you know of the aiel that we've met we've met avienda bane chiad ruark and gall obviously they were brought into the story for a reason do you think they are going to be sort of all leading with Rand, or do you think there's going to be a sort of division created? So I think this group that we have right now that we met, I think that's going to be our core group of Aiel for sure. But I think within that group, we're going to see some splintering a little bit, just in in some way or another. I do think it's going to be the core part, but I, I, I think 
you know, either philosophies or ways of their culture are going to get challenged and stuff. And I, I could definitely see just much like everyone else, I think interpersonal strife and fracturing is just something that's going to happen pretty soon. Yeah. And I mean, we already saw uh, Ruark at the end of The Dragon Reborn when he was telling Matt Moraine and the Wonder Girls about the Ayo culture, especially when it comes to the choosing of a wise one or a clan chief and their journey to Bruidian, he looked really, really uncomfortable talking about it. So I don't know if this is a thing that not a lot of people know, and they shouldn't really know. That might have ramifications down the line of you told, like, these people who are not Aeol are custom, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like I said before, I think we're going to see a lot of... Um a lot of interaction, a lot of, you know, neutral or at least out of the, out of the game, so to speak, getting pulled in. And I think it's just going to be one of those things where we are going to learn, you know, as, as a first time reader, I'm excited for this bit. I think we're going to learn a ton more about their history and cultures. And, you know, because especially the Aiel right now, they are very, they're very mysterious to me. Uh, You know, I know that they're kind of an ancient people. They've got their connection to the dragon and their prophecy of when the dragon comes back, so will they. But I also know that, you know, they are kind of, even in the, in, in the Wheel of Time universe, they're kind of, they're kind of a mystery. Uh, People don't, know about them some people don't believe in them i think if that's correct uh so i think we're gonna see a lot of that come out and into play and i i yeah especially for the people at large there's probably some sacred stuff that just by necessity is going to get spilled and i could totally see you know some some people get into trouble for that yeah okay Things to predict and things to just wait and see what happens is always (laughs) my motto. Well, because, you know, again, I I know I play a bit of the storytelling perspective because I I do love stories. I love how they're told. I love kind of dissecting them. Yeah. And I, I like the foreshadowing and what's coming up. So from a storytelling perspective, I know for a fact we need some type of Aiel avatar to fill in our group to fill in the reader of what the IEL are all about. What are the do's and don'ts, you know, stuff like that. So I'm, I'm pretty positive. We're at least going to have one IEL kind of permanently join the group and be that, uh, be that conduit, that, that back and forth of the appropriateness of the IEL and such. You think it might be Ruark? I think it might be Gaul. I think I, 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 I get, I think if I remember correctly, uh, there's a lot of Perrin and, and Gaul, uh, uh, shipping and such so I, I i imagine that we're gonna get a pretty a pretty great homoerotic relationship oh going God. on pretty soon very homoerotic i'm here for it i'm so here for it but yeah a homoerotic uh relationship is kind of what robert jordan intended when he wrote gall i mean six foot nine redhead i mean what else <laughs> is there you know yeah, so I think I think Ruark though I think he might be I don't know it's too it's too early to get on uh, to get a read but if I was to guess one Aiel that would kind of either get freaked out or turn away or turn against our heroes it, it might be him in a small faction I I don't know I I don't even have any uh, I don't have any instinctual predictions so far I I do believe we we will get Gaul joining the the group though yeah okay so yeah you think. Gaul is going to be kind of like the younger, sort of hipper, like, yeah, let's bring these people in. Let's talk about the Aiel culture and customs. And Ruark is the, no, we are Aiel, we stay away, all of that. Exactly, because I I think that's another theme that we're going to get a little bit, that, you know, the youth tend to challenge older customs. And I think that's just because, you know, I mean, fantastical things aside, um, I think there is always a division and like a pushback from younger people wanting to, you know what? Sorry, my thoughts are getting just a little ahead of me because it's it's actually something interesting I think I've stumbled on. Because on the one hand, you know, pretty naturally young people push against customs that they're brought up into. But on the other hand, we do have a lot of, you know, even our, our Iman's field, five wanting to 
be back into their regular lives. Yeah. You know, we have parent that wants wants nothing but to go with the the custom and the flow and stuff. Oh yeah. So I think at least thematically we're going to see a bit of that, like customs being challenged by the young who who want to challenge said customs. For sure. And I'm going to correct your pronunciation real quick. Uh, Emmonsfield. No long e. Uh, no. Emmonsfield. And it's uh, Perrine. Can you imagine? I I let you say Perrine for five episodes. <laughs> if and and I'm happy we're no, and thank you for correcting me. I am happy that we are ever so slightly lax on this because otherwise half of our podcast length would just be me getting corrected on pronunciations. Again, I apologize. I I always bring up the Snape story of just in my head when there's no one to correct me. It's it's a it's a free for all up here in my brain. Oh yeah. I mean, I can't really get too uh, particular about it because in all the episodes I've gone, so Lan walks into the room, Lon walks into the room, so I... <laughs> Actually, you know what, uh, that's that's a question I'd like to pose in our Discord server. You know, in our podcast and in the fandom at large, what are the most mispronounced words you find in Wheel of Time? I, I'd love to read a little bit on... You know your pet peeves. Uh, if if we've mispronounced anything, I know we get fact checked on the uh, live chat quite a bit, but I, I'd love to know the most mispronounced words in the Wheel of Time series. Um, so we've had a couple of people. Someone goes, anything goes really for pronunciation on Wheel of Time, which is kind of the core philosophy. But uh, Zool also just said, "Oh boy!" So and now the. Now we have people typing, so I'm like, all right, we're about to get some. <laughs> did I just open the floodgates? I think you did, Eric. <laughs> I think you did. <laughs> no, and it's true because, like, in fantasy, you know, it is it is true. It's like fantasy and sci-fi especially, since it is totally made up and fictional, it, it should be totally, you know, like, within the conventions of of the language, obviously, yeah. but... You know, I think I think land versus lawn. It, it is kind of a. I don't know. What what do you see? What, how do you how do you feel about it? Uh, to be fair, there is a pronunciation guide at the back of the book, but it's oh, very damn. limited. And I think um, it. You know, a lot of people have just kind of pulled however they want to. You know, um, you know what's going to be great for that for me is the Wheel of Time TV series. Yeah, I think. I think actually hearing and actually being able to visualize and not imaginationarily create is going to help me so much. For sure. See, I will never let go of A C D. A C D. You should just kind of go through and now pronounce every name here as if they are Italian. Faile, Tarine, Morene, Eguene. Um, no, but I think pronunciation is kind of a little fluid. You know, there are some correct ways to pronounce some of the names, but I think it's kind of just like, eh. Um, well, it's funny because sometimes I, you know, sometimes I oversimplify, uh, oversimplify, and then sometimes I lean way too heavy in like the fantasy direction where I, for a second, until I heard you pronounce it. And sometimes I refuse to say a word first until I hear you say yeah. it first, just so I can jump on the train. I thought tear for a little bit could have been like TR, like something like that. No, my favorite is Ninaneve. Ninaneve. I thought that's I thought that's what it was. We got we got N Y N. Okay, we got one syllable there. We got A. Okay, that's going to be its own symbol. And we got Eve. Okay, I know these words separately and simply. Uh, again, that Wheel of Time TV series is going to do me so good. Oh yeah. We just got a message in the chat from, I'm going to mispronounce your username, so I apologize in advance. Um, Astaroth said, Robert Jordan used to start fan signings with just going up to the podium and going like, it is pronounced I Sedai, it's 9A. Oh my God. And there is actually <laughs> a video of that, of Robert Jordan, like in, I think the 90s or early 2000s, just stepping up and you just a hush falls over the crowd and he just goes Egwene Alvir Nazrum Taim <laughs> and like you just hear everyone in the audience go ah ooh Swan <laughs> Sancha it's so just like is this the reaping for the Hunger Games or something? It's like just uh, the whole time. If I'd ca caught on earlier and was there, he'd be looking me dead in the eye the whole time. Yeah, just 
focused on no one else. He would just go, <laughs> and this goes out to Eric, and then just goes through the entire, like, all 2,000 named characters. <laughs> Every original word he has created, he just goes for yeah. it. No, with pronunciation, once you kind of get all, like, for me, like, kind of figuring out there are a lot of Arthurian parallels, like, Rand Althor, Arthur. Right. A Gwen Alvir, Gwen Alvir. The sword in the yeah. stone. Um, Nynaeve is somewhat uh, like, I think it's like Nimue, somewhat. So, yeah, like just kind of going from there was kind of my springboard of, oh, maybe it's kind of said like this. I will never get over, though. Um, Swan Sanche. When I first heard in the audiobook, I went, that's, that doesn't, Swan? Swan <laughs> Sanche? Um, though I still stumble over a lot of the words, like, so, the shadow, it's, we should just keep a, uh, we should keep a key of how many words you can't pronounce, and then words that I can't pronounce, and so we just sit in awkward silence until we just go, someone in the chat pull up a pronunciation guide for us, please? <laughs> We just refer to them through context clues and nothing else. <laughs> yeah. You know, the magic item. The, the, the magic item that acts as a, a battery and a focus. You know, Egwene's got one. Uh, There's only a few of them. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that's that's the one. I, I forgot the word. I, I didn't, It's not that I didn't know how to pronounce it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It took me a while. Like, the tongue twister that is Teloran Riyadh was like, uh-uh. And then, like, Kyrian, uh, even some of the names, I'm just like, I'm not going to really try to figure this out, you know? No, hearing them hearing them is much more beneficial than, than reading for me. Yeah, same. Um, it's that being said, I will never forget the pronunciation to Emmonsfield, I promise. You better not. Or Robert Jordan will visit you in your sleep and go, Emmonsfield. <laughs> And then just vanish. <laughs> but there is something. Speaking of Egwene, I want to talk about the dreams that she's had because they happened in uh, Eye of the World, Great Hunt, and the chapters in The Dragon Reborn that we didn't cover. And I also want to talk about Min, her viewings. Um, I've kind of, I've copy-pasted it from the Encyclopedia of Wheel of Time, but I just wanted to kind of uh, narrow it down to kind of the ones that have somewhat relevance, if that makes sense. Like, they're, they're all relevant, but the ones I'm kind of like, okay, I'm curious to know your thoughts. Yeah. So one of the dreams that she had was about white cloaks binding her father's hands. And I kind of instantly thought of, I believe, Perrin had a dream in the Dragon Reborn of Master Luan being brought into a trap by the White Cloaks as well. So do you think there's a connection with that? I mean, and what that kind of means? Yeah, I, I think for sure that there's something going on here because, you know, we brought it up a while ago that dreams mean stuff in these books. You know, these aren't just internal monologues or conflicts that the characters are dealing with. These, these are dreams that you can interpret and foreshadow. Right. Uh, I think, I do think that we are going to find a pinch point pretty soon where the dark friends are going to be able to find what makes our heroes squirm a little bit. And I think, I think it lies in Emmons field. I think they're going to go back there and, you know, hold some people hostage or, you know, maybe even just outright kill them or something. And uh, think, I, don't, I don't think anyone is safe. <laughs> do you think it's a thing of these five people having left their small village are going to have to return? And it's the consequences of, Oh, you're this now. You're an accepted. You're an Ista. You're a wolf brother. You're lucky. Oh my God! What? Definitely. I mean, you know, this this isn't so much a coming of age tale, but these are young adults. These are very. I mean, these these are children, and I think a popular thing to do is to always have you know some moment of the death of your innocence, and this it's happened to them a few times. You know, they've gone through 
some stuff. I mean, Matt with the dagger, Egwene, yeah. uh, Nineveh, and, and, you know, rising up through the tower a bit. But I think yeah, the true severance is good. Nineveh? Nineveh. God damn it. Okay. See, you brought it, you brought up the wrong pronunciations and it got in my head. So, Egwene and her friend, Egwene and the wis- the old wisdom. Oh my God. Uh, <laughs> Say her name. Say your name. Wisdom. Nineveh. Who lives in Emmonsfield. Not anymore. She doesn't uh, live in there. But I, I think the true we'll we'll get back to it. I promise. I, I promise. I'll, I'll nail it right once. But this train of thought will leave the station if I don't get to it. The true the true death of their innocence will come from the death of Emmonsfield. I think the people that they have known, grown up with, and love they are going to die. Unfortunately, I think Ooh. the whole thing's going to get torched. I think I think it's going to be either a you know bait for the trap or it's just going to be to hurt them where it hurts the most but I'm, I'm calling that prediction right now interesting yeah that I think that would be the thing that literally kills their childhood and kills the last of their innocence and also really could spring their arcs in a way that they hadn't thought yeah yeah because right now it feels like they're still anchored and at least for some of them cough cough parent there's a real sense that they're going to be able to go back someday that you know they will have a tale that will come to a natural conclusion they'll be able to go back and i think for them to kind of keep growing they're going to need that moment that shows them there's there's no going back yeah and i mean even matt thought that oh shaitan is dead rand took the stone of tear that's it we're done and then there is that realization that no they're still forsaken out there there's still black aja we are far from done i mean rand's whole thing about thinking that he ended it all is really sad in the long term because i think they all want this to be over they just kind of want to go home and yeah if they come home and do you think they'll be there when Emmonsfield is scorched, or do you think it's a thing of we missed it? Ooh, I definitely think not everyone will be present. I think some will have to hear about it secondhand, and I think we will have a bit of them that are going to be there firsthand that either just find it that way or are kind of in the middle of whatever is happening there yeah. at the time. I feel like the three boys are going to be the ones in the middle of it, you know? it kind of feels the most natural. You know, I feel like Nynaeve and Egwene are going to kind of go back to the tower and Rand, Matt, and Perrin are going to find a way to go back to Emmons Field, I think. Maybe it's a thing of they mm-hmm. escape from Tyr under, from under Moraine's uh, gaze and they just kind of go, let's do it. That's funny. Yeah, I, my, my instinct, if I had to call the shot, I I felt pretty strongly that Rand would not be there because he would be on dragon duty mm, okay. and he would hear about it secondhand. And, and that's kind of a, you know, a, a knife turning in him a bit that because of his higher calling, he, his, his self, his sense of self is dying slowly but surely. Uh, I definitely think to make it hurt the most, I think Perrin and Nynaeve. Uh, Nynaeve? Nynaeve? Yes. Nynaeve. Uh, <laughs> I think both of them need to be there because I think for, again, Perrin, he's still, he, he feels like his identity is being a blacksmith and I think he does want to go back. And I think as far as, you know, uh, Nani is concerned, she's seeing this as a, I'm just here to keep these people safe and to get back someday. So I think them seeing it firsthand would have the most punch to me. Yeah. Okay. All right. If, um, if this if this happens, so to speak, because who's who's to say what happens? Yeah, the wheel weaves as the wheel wills. Um, but I want to go back to Egwene's dreams just for a moment, and I want to talk about the dreams that she has about Matt. So one of the dreams is Matt placing his own left eye on a balance scale. And the reason I kind of brought this one up is because when we've talked about Matt, we've kind of talked about how Matt is going to put himself into the fire somehow, and he is going to get himself into trouble. And so what do you kind of make of the eye on the scale? 
Yeah, you know, again, it's it's funny because the dreams do mean something, and I think you can foreshadow stuff. But I think at this point where I'm at on a first time read, it's so hard to definitively say what it is. Yeah. But as far as what feeling I've got, you know, the the scale feels like such a specific instrument. You know, it's an instrument of balance. It's an instrument of how to, uh, you know, how to value items and stuff. Yeah. So Matt placing his eye, I think it's a calculated move, which is different for Matt. Yeah. Um, it's also him giving up a big piece of him, which also isn't very much like Matt. I don't know if there was any other context or anything in the dream. I'm, I'm having trouble remembering this one, but I think we're seeing a bit of Matt's self-sacrifice for somebody, a very calculated self-sacrifice. Okay. Cause I do remember you mentioned a couple episodes back that you see Matt pulling a sacrifice. Somewhere. I do. I, I think he's going to have a very big growth and hero moment where for once, what he's thinking and what he does line up with each other. And he actually makes the conscious decision to to be a hero. Yeah. Um, and kind of going on that note, we see Matt has been is hanging by his neck from a tree limb. Uh, she sees Matt in the Sean Chan and Matt speaking the old tongue. So kind of going on this Egwene getting vengeance against the Sean Chan. Do you think the putting the eye on the scale, being Matt being hung by a rope uh, by his neck from a tree limb and the Sean Chan and Egwene, do you think that's all going to come together? Like maybe he's doing something to help Egwene or something. Yeah, I, I think instinctively even uh, Egwene and Matt coupling up for, for a few chapters totally makes sense to me. I think it's like one of the more natural pairings if you're going to kind of split this group up again uh and yeah i I, th I think matt is going to get in trouble and i think i think he's going to get in trouble kind of on Egwene's behalf not that she's going to ask him to or anything but i think he's gonna you know get brought into the know of this culture and this uh this ugliness that Egwene went through and i think he's gonna he's gonna flip yeah interesting that you say Egwene and matt are a natural pairing do you think it's sort of like this odd couple sort of vibe? Like a little bit. I, I don't even think it's anything necessarily like romantic, uh, romantic, right. but if we're, if we're kind of going, you know, I, I, I've said before that, like, I wouldn't mind if we get away from formula, but one of the pieces of the formula that works for me really well are the couplings and are the smaller groups that kind of get put together. Like even Tom and Matt, you know, yeah. we got to, we get to know them a little bit more, of those sides because they kind of bring it out of each other. I think Egwene and Matt are kind of, kind of the most alike out of our, out of our Emmons field five. Interesting. I think if you were to put two people that, you know, are put in positions of power and with their ambition, they can go anywhere. Right. For sure. And I think Matt and Egwene have that in them both. So Kind of the last topic I wanted to talk about as we sort of bring this episode to an end is men's viewing. Because oh, right. I think with a lot of anything that has to do with dreams or foretellings or anything like that are so important. And so um, I wanted to kind of go through the three boys and what she sees for them. Was this the, was this the first time when, when she met him? Yes. Uh, okay. When they're in Bearlawn, they met her outside the inn, and she kind of went, hi, okay, anyway, boom, 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 boom. Right. No, I'm so happy you went back and, and did this, because my memory of that is so fuzzy. I remember, yeah. all I remember is like a crown that isn't a crown. I think that's all I remember. <laughs> Close. So for Perrin, she sees a wolf, a broken crown, and trees flowering all around him. So that's that's just our wild wolf boy being a wild wolf boy. Wild wolf boy, yeah. And then what do you see with the broken crown? I think the broken crown, so I think it's, you know, because a crown is, is worn by a king. Yeah. Um, and 
that type of ruling, that type of monarchy is a very human invention. You know, wolves, especially they're, they're pack animals. They don't have, you know, contrary to popular belief, actually, they are, they, they, it's not one alpha leading the pack. Like we think it is like one lone leader, you know, it, it really, there is a, a huge pack mentality. So I think, I think the broken crown is Perrin becoming a leader of some type within the wolf community, but not like a king. I think he's going to get more in touch with that pack mentality. And last Perrin symbol, one of the last, uh, trees flowering all around him. Yeah, I, uh, was there anything in Eye of the World or Great Hunt with how wolf brothers react to steadings? I do not believe so. I could I be wrong, that's... but I feel like mm-hmm. they kind of keep it as separate. Right, because I... From what I remember, I think they get to one, and that's that's where there's a bit of, you know, refreshment and stuff. Right. So I kind of saw it as either, you know, either he's got a bit of a home base that's based in nature, or that's just kind of his future that is to come. I think he's going to get some, you know, some good things that are going to flower and bloom, metaphorically. Nice. nice. But, on a, on, yeah, on the surface level, that could that could easily be him, you know, getting more in touch with, with nature. Yeah. Maybe something like an expansion of his wolf brother powers, maybe? Exactly, yeah. Yeah. No, I could see him becoming, like, you know, king of the woods, so to speak. Nice. And so, uh, just finishing up Perrin's viewings, uh, just because we got this in at the start of The Dragon Reborn, and I know you'll like this because of how it all comes to fruition, Min sees an Aiel man in a cage, a Tuathan with a sword, a falcon and a hawk perching on your shoulders, both female, I think. So we saw two of those come into play. All we have left is the Tuathan with a sword. Did we? And that that's Tuathan? Tuathan, I believe. I, well, I don't know if I've... Should, should I know what that is at this point? Uh, Tinker. Ah, okay. Okay, gotcha. Oh damn! So that oh wow, that's a uh, because they don't they don't they don't carry weapons or anything. No, they kind of just try to make peace or they run. So that could definitely mean some some strife with the tinkerers. I, I know that he's got kind of a a relationship with them, or at least he's run into them before. Or that could be our dark friend. Uh, tinkerer that's infiltrated that you know because tinkerers don't hold swords but a a dark friend would absolutely break those rules (laughs) yeah no more tinkering pots for those tinkers (laughs) uh and then right so we we saw the two with uh gall in the cage and then the falcon obviously yeah but then we have a hawk yes um if you'll recall uh when we met bear lane at the end of the third book when she comes in she's wearing a crown that has a hawk in flight with it so do you think there's going to be a love triangle or a love square with uh the two women and gall uh, oh I, 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 <laughs> after this podcast we, we will co-write that slash fic yeah um yeah you know what i i didn't even i didn't even think of that uh that you know a the hawk on his shoulder would be the same type of situation as the falcon on his shoulder. I just, I kind of took that as two women very close to him in life that are both aggressive or hunters of some kind. Uh, Yeah. You know what? This one's totally up in the air for me. I could totally see him kind of accidentally too, in his very himbo way, getting mixed up romantically, you know, and just being a boy idiot about it. (laughs) Nice. Nice. I love that. Aaron is now a himbo in your eyes. That makes me very happy. And I just <laughs> got corrected with the pre- pronunciation. So it's not Tuathan. It's Tuathan. I don't even think I said that correctly. So we're going to move on. Uh, <laughs> never to be spoke of again. Never, never again. <laughs> um, so we're going to go to Matt. Uh, she sees a red eagle. An eye on a balance scale, a dagger with a ruby, a horn, and a laughing face. Just to just so you know, um, the 
wolf, broken crown, and trees for parent. This is all before anything. This is uh, pre-Shadar Logoth. So Matt, you know, didn't get the dagger yet. Perrin didn't speak with the wolves or meet Elias yet. So uh, I'll say it again for Matt. It's um, a red eagle, an eye on a balance scale, a dagger with a ruby, a horn, and a laughing face. So, yeah, okay, so we got some that have definitely come to fruition, at yes. least two. Definitely the dagger with the ruby, that was the the dark dagger that gets mm-hmm. him sick in that book. And then the, uh, what was the what was the one before the laughing face? The horn. The horn, and, you know, he, he blows the horn. Yeah, the uh, horn of Valir. The horn of Valir that would come into the next book. Um, that last one is intriguing me, the laughing face, because it's almost like I want to say it's his personality but i really don't think i think this is like i don't know i think i'm going to call a prediction here i think that's a i I think that's signifying a forsaken that he's going to kind of play games with in a way Mm -hmm. like it's going to be a cat and mouse almost like what we had a little bit of uh uh morgaze's uh right hand man uh gabriel gabriel yeah i think i think i think that's gabriel and his involvement with that Interesting. So you think there's going to be a sort of, uh, when Egwene was seeing Matt dicing with Balsamon, it's going to kind of be a situation like that. Exactly. Nice. Uh, what do you make of the Red Eagle? Red Eagle, I don't know. I you, I, I was scrambling my brain to, to think if we ran into any Red Eagles or anything yet, and I don't, I don't think we have. I could be wrong. Right. Um, um, I do... I do Okay, in which case, you know, I'm calling a half-court shot. I think that's some type of faction that will be introduced that Matt will end up being a part of. Okay. All right, so yeah, um, Matt, yeah, Matt starting a faction. I think Matt, in his own way, being a little shit, starting his own thing. <laughs> and maybe that's I, how he gets involved with the Sean Chan and Egwene. Oh, absolutely. I could see him kind of accidentally becoming the leader of a group like the Baker Street Boys or something. Oh my god, yeah. That has <laughs> his own gang. And then we have his eye on the scale, which yeah. I, again, I, I think that's just some type of self-sacrifice. I think he's going to get, you know, kind of badly hurt or something, but I yeah. think it's going to be willing. I'm, okay. I'm excited. I'm excited to see how those pan out because... Uh, Min's Min's uh, visualization that her gift is so cool and so so very much what I love about the series yeah. thus far of of how many seeds are getting planted that you know on a second read through I think I'm gonna enjoy it so much thoroughly in a yeah. different way. Yeah, that's the thing is I can't wait for you to reread this series because I think it's there's so many little things that you're just gonna go oh oh okay. <laughs> All right, so our last boy, Rand, for him, she sees a sword that isn't a sword, a golden crown of laurel leaves, a beggar's staff. She sees Rand pouring water on sand, a bloody hand, and a white hot iron, three women standing over a funeral byre with you on it, black rock wet, wet with blood, lightning around you, some striking at you, some coming out of you. And she says, you and I will meet again. So I'll oh kind of God. go symbol by symbol. <laughs> she, just cause Yeah, she, she had a few. <laughs> she had a whole paragraph. Like, it almost reminded me of that scene in uh, The Wizard of Oz where she's kind of like, to the line, bye, lion, bye, tin man, and then, and I'll miss you most of all, Scarecrow. I know, it's like, well... Fuck us then. Yeah, it's like <laughs> it's like she's going like, all right, Matt, you get this, Perrin, you get this, and then like her eyes just like flip to the back of her head, and like she get like the sky darkens for Rand, and then she's like, all right, bye guys. It's kind of like cool, which cause... I guess does make sense since he is the most strongly Tavirin, and and he is the Dragon Reborn. It does make sense that he'd be a little bit more. Uh you know, giving off some more signals <laughs> and none for, and none for Matt and Perrin. Bye. <laughs> Bye. All right. So the first one, uh, a sword that isn't a sword. Yeah. So, you know, we, we just got introduced to Kalendor, yeah. uh, which is a, uh, Terangriel, right? Mm-hmm. Did I say um, that right? Uh, Terangriel, Terangriel. 
Herring reel. I'll get it next time. I'll, yeah, I'll, you'll, I'll... <laughs> I'll have a pronunciation guide. Um, Beautiful. Whenever uh, Eric's girlfriend, Amy, reads for the podcast, I try to make sure to have a pronunciation guide. I should probably have thought to do that for the first time reader instead of just letting him <laughs> fail. Just, just watch me flop around. Yeah. Um, yeah. I so I flop. think that's, <laughs> I think the sword that isn't a sword is definitely Kalendor or possibly even referring to his, uh, his power with a capital P. Okay. Um, just to answer that one, it is, uh, it refers to Kalendor. Okay, cool. Good. And then, uh, she sees a golden crown of laurel leaves. And what kind of like popped into my head is we've gotten two crown imageries. So I'm wondering if the crown she sees for Rand is the same broken one for Perrin. I don't know. That could be, you know, if Perrin rejects the crown, so to speak, whatever that offer is, and maybe it goes to Rand, I could totally see that happening. Yeah. Because uh, Perrin's was a broken crown. Was it also Laurel Leaves? No, I don't believe so. I think she just read it as a generic crown. Okay, because I'm trying to I'm trying to remember just kind of that large what Laurel Leaves signify. I think that's like, what, festivity, peace? Yes. Uh, so, mm, you know, I think I think that's a bit of a... I'm hoping. I'm not necessarily predicting, but I'm hoping... That means whatever leadership Rand finds himself into, he kind of retains his Rand humanism and tries to be, you know, fair and just and peaceable. Okay. Because ultimately, I I do think Rand is a good man at heart, you know, and I'm hoping he kind of leans into that in spite of all of the, you know, stuff going around him and the stuff he's going through. Yeah, for sure. Just holding on to that sense of humanity in him. Mm-hmm. All right, we have next a beggar's staff. Oh, man, I so we meet a beggar in, uh, in uh, God, where were we? Is that not Alien? Where where he climbs over the wall? Oh, Camelin. Camelin doesn't he meet a beggar there? Um, so you, uh, he sees Pat and Fane there. Ah, yes. Yes, acting like a beggar. Yeah. So that must have that must have been the foreshadowing of him running into him, I think. Okay. Um so we have Rand pouring water on sand. Uh I think that's dealing with the Aiel. Okay. Uh do you think it's a good or bad thing? Uh good. I th- I think they I don't remember specifically, but I think they have some prophecy dealing with water and the dragon bringing water to the wasteland or something i believe i I could have that kind of just generalized or something so so far we have gotten nothing of water what we have gotten so far is um they say uh in the dragon reborn um they say uh rand was born of far diaries my um, and blood of our blood mixed with the old blood, raised by ancient blood, not ours. Uh, but nothing yet about water, but interesting. But, like, yeah, it's uh, he's gotten uh, told that he looks like an Aeolman, so it only makes sense that he would find some way to deal with the Aeol, probably siding with right. uh, Gaul in their sort of argument. All right. So we have a bloody hand and white hot iron. A, a bloody hand and a white hot iron. So right. that, I'm not too sure about the bloody hand. That can just be blood spilt in general, but the white hot iron definitely feels like that's just what Rand is. And he's being shaped kind of by Moraine and prophecies. And, you know, he's, he's being smelted a bit. Three women standing over a funeral pyre with Rand on it. Yeah, so that one, that one I'm not sure about. I'm not even sure if we've quite gotten there yet, because I could see that being Rand as Rand kind of dying and becoming the dragon, and the three women being around there when it happens, which would have been uh, Elaine, Egwene, and Nynaeve. Um, But it also could be 
some people in higher spots of power. It could be, you know, Moraine yeah. and some other members of the White Tower kind of watching over him in some kind of way. So I, I don't I don't have that one down quite as much. Okay. That's one we can kind of keep in the back pocket. Um Black Rock wet with blood. Yeah. Is there mm, because I think the Aiel they talk about hiding in caves? Yes. I believe so. I I could imagine maybe that's Aiel blood being spilt, something like that. Okay. Like a conflict uh like the start of a Aiel conflict? Yes, exactly. Interesting. All right. And so uh, the last one is lightning around Rand, some striking at him and some coming out of him. Uh, I think that's just him and the power that he's about to get introduced to because, you know, there's moments where he can channel it perfectly and it feels intuitive and instinctual, but then you know, the side effects of it absolutely tearing him apart <laughs> yeah. and kind of driving him mad. So we comment to this podcast, we have a correction in the chat. Um, there does not seem to be a mention of caves with the Aiel, but I think you've got the right message going. Um, a split among the Aiel caused by mm-hmm. the old versus the young. It, it might not have been written, but that's uh, that's just for me. That's my imagination. They're they're cave people. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's that's fair. But I, I yeah, I think either you know, and I'm not sure if the Black Rock itself is something specific, but I think at, at least so far, a lot of what we've seen with the Aiel have been rock. Uh, yeah. We've had the Stone of Tear, and then the first time they were spotted, kind of in that craggy cliff when uh, when our group was traveling. Right, right, right. Okay. But yeah, those are my uh, those are my soft predictions and kind of what I see and feel and, and intuitively. And I'm curious to see if I uh, if I got any right. Here, actually, this will be fun. You don't have to tell me which or what or any specifics. But did I get anything right? Um, that hasn't been uh, confirmed already. You let me uh, pull up the. Predictions of for the three boys. Uh, do you mean with men's viewings or yeah, like, yeah, um, something that we're going to see? And you don't have to be specific with the characters or anything. I just want to know if I got anything right. No. <laughs> oh man, that was the other bad thing. Actually, right when I asked, I was like, gotten, if, if it's a no, that's pretty anticlimactic. Gotten, I think you've actually gotten one thing correct. I'll and take I'm not it. saying what it is. I will. I will absolutely take it. <laughs> But if you want to keep seeing Eric get corrected on his predictions, uh, keep hanging out with us. We'll be uh, getting to the Shadow Rising in about two weeks. Um, We're actually really excited. We got uh, two shows coming up that are kind of mystery topics. Uh, Each week, Eric and I are picking a topic to cover, and we're not going to be telling each other what these topics are. So... We'll both be coming in blind both weeks, but uh, like I said, we'll be starting the Shadow Rising in about two weeks, so I'm super excited for you to get to this book, because it's phenomenal. No, me too. Like I like I said, I'm, you know, very, I, I like the series very much. I, you know, very much plan to read it to its conclusion, which is good news for us in this podcast, obviously. Yeah. Uh, but I am excited to see, because again, like these first three books feel like, you know, my, my overall impression with grouping these three books is this is kind of the start of the series. This feels like now from here on out, we're really going to tear into some stuff, you know? Okay. So I do want to make a correction. You got two things correct. Oh, the boy is on fire. <laughs> bam, 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 bam. <laughs> I can't wait to I can't wait to see what they are and I can't wait to see if I even remember them if I when I stumble on them. I'll I'll shoot you a text or, or ping the Discord server. Oh for sure. And we will all love to see your reactions and your <laughs> I got it right, I got it right. <laughs> Alright. So uh for everyone in the Discord and everyone listening right now, we want to thank you all for joining us this week. Uh Eric, where can they find you? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Viva Ladanes. I'm going to spell it out every single time. V-I-V-A-L-A-D-A-I-N-S. And you can find me as the only gay in the two rivers. Um, 
we are on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and if you are listening to us from there and you want to hear us record live, hang out with us, we are on our Discord server that we have linked in our bio. And Eric, do you have anything else you want to add? Oh god, I wish I had something cool to say. I got nothing. <laughs> we'll just ADR some like cool catchphrase. Uh, you know what? Here, no, I got, I got, I got, I got something to say. I got, I got something to say. All right, you got something uh, Dragon Reborn, y'all. Uh, 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 uh. No, wait, we got. We already did that in the. Hold on. <clears throat> here we are. Nope, I got nothing. I got nothing. There's nothing out of context that sounds great to end a podcast with. I'm sorry. <laughs> so we are looking for a new host, co-host for the podcast. If you are interested to replace Eric Danes, uh, please let me know. Tell the kidding. <laughs> all right. Uh, thank you all again for joining us, and we will see you all next week for our first mystery episode hosted by Eric.